Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to the August edition of my One Month to a More Effective Compliance Program series that I'm running throughout 2017. This month will be One Month to More Effective Continuous Improvement. My sponsor this month is Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 500 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, I would urge you to visit, visit Affiliated Monitors at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. As I indicated, this month we're going to look at one month to more effective continuous improvement. We're going to consider auditing and monitoring the different types of audit auditing that you can do from third-party auditing, supply chain, data risk auditing, auditing, culture auditing, for auditing against fraud. We're going to talk about control testing. We're going to look at continuous improvement through the use of big data. We're going to look at measuring effectiveness, risk-based monitoring, email sweeps as monitoring, and listening as continuous monitoring. I think you're going to find it a fascinating month. And I'm sure at the end of the month, you will have picked up multiple lessons on what you can do to improve your compliance program around continuous improvement. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode, and I hope you'll join me for the entire month. This 2017 One Month to a Better Compliance Program podcast series is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Day 10, Controls Testing. Continuous improvement requires that not only you audit and monitor, but that you also test your controls. In addition to the language set out in the 2012 FCPA guidance, two of the seven compliance elements in the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines call for continuous improvement, testing, auditing, and monitoring. Finally, under Prong 9 of the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs in the area of control testing, it asks the following question. What control testing has the company generally undertaken? Control testing is therefore a key metric for enforcement officials when looking to determine whether companies maintain adequate oversight of their compliance programs. A review plan is an excellent tool for the compliance practitioner because it provides a method for ongoing evaluation of policies and sets forth a manner to communicate and train on any changes that are implemented. More than simply staying current, this approach allows the dynamics that the DOJ continually talks about in keeping your program fresh through continual improvement. Finally, such a review plan can also be a guide for the compliance practitioner in creating an ongoing game plan for continuous improvement. The the COSO 2013 Internal Controls Framework provides a roadmap to test your controls. This means that if you have multi-country business or business unit organization, you need to determine how your compliance internal controls are interrelated up and down the organization. It's really a four-pronged approach, which is the following. 
Make an overall test of your controls. This should include an analysis of whether the components and relevant principles are present and functioning. There should be a control evaluation. Here you need to evaluate the deficiencies that may turn up and if there are any compensating controls. Test whether each control is present and functioning. And number four, you should summarize your control deficiencies in a log so they can be addressed on a structured basis going forward. This is part of the review plan I talked about earlier. Another th way to think through control testing is to consider the controls to the effect, the effect they have and would allowing internal controls deficiency to be identified with an initial severity determination. A compliance evaluation roll up the results of each evaluation, control evaluation, and allow a reevaluation of the severity of any deficiency in the context of compensating controls. Lastly, overall testing allows you to consider if the controls are operating together in an integrated manner. This type of process would lend itself to an ongoing evaluation so that the business models, laws, regulations, and other situations as they change, if you test your controls, to see if they were up to the new situations or you needed adjustment. Under a compliance regime, you may be faced with known or relevant criteria to classify any deficiency. For example, if your controls around written policies do not at minimum have the number laid out in the FCPA guidance, this would be a failure of controls that you need to identify moving forward. If there are no objective criteria, such as those laid out in the FCPA guidance, uh, the 2012 FCPA guidance, the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines, or indeed the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, where can you go to evaluate your controls? What steps should you take? Well, you should establish objective criteria for evaluating any control deficiencies based upon those uh, interrelated nature and how they report up together with appropriate auditing boundaries set by established law or regulations, should give you a way to determine the ultimate, ultimately the effectiveness of your entity's internal controls. COSO also suggests you use templates that can serve as the basis for your reporting results. Obviously, if you're doing your testing, you have to report on those. This is designed to support a testing of effectiveness of your controls and then document it. Anytime I see the word document, I'm obviously very pleased because I still believe the three most important issues in a best practices compliance program are document, document, document. And this serves as the basis for any best practices compliance program, no matter what regulation it's based on. When the Securities and Exchange Commission comes knocking, asking if you've tested the effectiveness of your compliance program as required under the FCPA, you'll be in a better position to meet those obligations. And indeed, you have to show they're effective, but you also have to meet your obligations under SOX 404. Obviously, a compliance control must be present and functioning. A control has to achieve the results designed that the system is designed for. 
that's the basic requirement and really the basic message for this podcast that you need to consider going forward. So what are today's three key takeaways? Number one, testing of controls helps to provide reasonable assurance of the achievement of your design controls. Obviously, this or this would seem to be self-evident or self-obvious, but it also really speaks to the requirements that Congress put forth in Sarbanes-Oxley, Section 404, around effective internal controls, and it also moves to the FCPA, which under the accounting provision requires a company to have effective internal controls around bribery and corruption. Never forget that code of conduct can be an internal control, so think about testing your code of conduct in the context of controls testing. Two, there are two overarching requirements for effective controls. First is that the controls are present and functioning. So do you have controls? And two, are they functioning? Next, are your controls operating in an integrated approach? You take the GTE example, is there an employee signature required on an expense reimbursement form? Uh, Do you require receipts to be attached? Do you require a description of the business purpose of any employee spend around GTE? Do you make them uh, list out the participants in the event and their job titles? Has the reviewer, the first-line reviewer, double-checked to make sure everything's attached, and then has the second-line reviewer made another test to check that all the expense receipts were attached. And finally, at some point, has audit gone back and checked on all of this? And number three, for an effective compliance program, you can use the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program to test your controls against. So it's readily available. It's out there. Uh, I have uh, put together a spreadsheet tying the COSO 2013 framework, five objectives, 17 principles, and 84 points of focus. If you'd like that uh, as a way to test your controls, I'm happy to provide that to you. If you will email me and tell me you listened to today's podcast, I'm certainly willing to share that. So this is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode of One Month to More Effective continuous improvement, and I hope you'll join me tomorrow for Day 11. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of One Month to More Effective Continuous Improvement in Your Compliance Program. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, please rate this podcast. It was a help in our rankings and also get the word out about the only daily podcast to help you improve your compliance program. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and you've been listening to one month of more effective continuous improvement from the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.